Is Mark Driscoll a victim of vindictive leaders who simply wanted to take over Mars Hill Church, or is he an unrepentant narcissist and bully who refuses to take responsibility? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce. And in part two of my interview with former Mars Hill Executive Elder Sutton Turner, we discuss the narrative Mark Driscoll has been crafting for eight years. Ever since abruptly resigning from Mars Hill in 2014, Driscoll has claimed he's the victim. The leaders at Mars Hill had set a trap and Mark left before they could destroy him. In this podcast, you'll hear Robert Morris, pastor of Gateway Church in Texas, introduce Driscoll at a conference just six days after Driscoll resigned. And despite the fact that Driscoll refused to submit to a restoration plan by the Mars Hill elders, Morris says nothing about Driscoll's sin. Instead, he urges everyone to welcome Driscoll, and Morris likens criticizing Driscoll to the church shooting its wounded. You'll also hear a similar narrative in 2015 in an interview between Driscoll and Hillsong founder Brian Houston. But you'll also hear the other side of the story, as both Sutton Turner and former Mars Hill elder Miles Rohde give their perspective. And you'll hear their heartbreak over a brother who they say has refused to repent from his sin. This is such an important podcast with lessons for both leaders and congregants. But before we start, I want to encourage you to listen past the end of today's podcast for an outtake we've decided to include. I think when you hear it, you'll see why. I'd also like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, the Restore Conference and Marcord of Barrington. I'm so excited to announce the next Restore Conference, June 9th and 10th at Judson University in Elgin, Illinois. Joining us for this amazing two-day event to restore faith in God and the church will be many leading abuse survivor advocates. These include Wade Mullen, Scott McKnight, Mary DeMuth, and Kyle James Howard. I'll be there as well, but by far, what makes this gathering so special is you, the survivors, allies, activists, and church leaders who truly desire to see healing and reform in the church. For more information, just go to julieroys.com restore. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marcord of Barrington. Marcord is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marcourt, are men of integrity. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Again, joining me on part two of this podcast about what really happened at Mars Hill is Sutton Turner. Sutton served on staff at Mars Hill Church from 2011 to 2014, first as a general manager and then as an executive pastor, executive elder, and board member. You'll also hear excerpts today of my interview with Miles Rohde, a former elder at Mars Hill who now pastors Redemption Spokane. But we begin with a clip of Robert Morris introducing Mark Driscoll at the Gateway Conference on October 20th, 2014. This is just six days after Driscoll abruptly resigned from Mars Hill, refusing to submit to a restoration plan by his elders and abandoning his congregation. I want to introduce you to a friend, a good friend of mine, and I've been um, speaking with him for several months now. He's going through a, a, a difficulty that most of you have probably read about. Um, I know the behind the scenes story. Uh, he was supposed to speak at our conference. Uh, it was publicized that we canceled him. It's not true. We did not cancel. I'm speaking of Mark Driscoll. We did not cancel him. He and I decided together uh, that he was going to step out of ministry for a season and get some healing. 
uh, he asked me, could I come to the conference and just attend? And I thought that was very big of him to just come and be ministered to. And, and I want to say a couple of things. First of all, I want you to know that everything you read on the internet is not true. And there are some pastors, myself included, and some others that you would know that we're speaking into his life, and he's listening. And uh, uh, most of what you read is not true. Some of it is. He did make some mistakes. Now, here's what I figure. We've got two choices. One is we could crucify him. But since someone's already been crucified for him... The other choice is we could restore him with a spirit of gentleness considering ourselves lest we are also tempted. And it's very sad that in the church we're the only army that shoots at our wounded. And I want you to stop it. I really do. Thank you. I'd like for you to show your love for him. I'd like for you to just welcome him. Mark, would you stand up? This is Mark Driscoll. Unbelievable. I actually, uh, we, we can't listen to all that applause because it goes on and on, like the love for, for Mark Driscoll. And I'm going to play the clip of what he said when he got up there, but I just wanted to play that introduction by Robert Morris because I think it's it's spiritually abusive. I think it crafts a lie. And I think Robert Morris knew that because like he said, he was privy. So I, you were privy to everything. What do you hear and how, how do you respond to what you just heard? So when you hear Robert Morris, that, that they want to restore him, like there's pastors at Mars Hill Church that wanted to restore Mark Driscoll. But restoration is the th third or fourth stage in the process. We have to have repentance and reconciliation before that, before you build, rebuild somebody back and, and basically rebuild trust in restoration. And so I just, I think it's so, um, um, well, I mean, it's, it's typical of an art church um, to say that in my opinion, <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. um, and having served at an art church in the past, um, and I would also say that what Robert says to the men that investigated Mark and found him unfit for ministry, it's a big pushback to those men. It's in your face, like someone with great character like Miles Rohde, that you didn't do the work. You didn't meet with the people that sinned. You can't read your Bible and you don't know what First Timothy says. It, it just undermines what little accountability we were trying to put in place at Marcel. Now, granted, that's the last place that you would say that there was accountability, but there was an attempt at accountability uh, at Marcel, and it we failed, right? Because I would say we failed because the person wasn't restored. It wasn't redemptive. It didn't bring glory to God in that process, because I'll tell you, like Mark Driscoll repenting and reconciling with all those people and then being restored to ministry would have been amazing. It would have been awesome. And I think that in the heart of every elder, 
that that's what they wanted to see. That's why they were going through and listening to all these painful conversations that they had to have with people that had been sinned against. So when I hear Robert Moore say restored, I'm just like, yeah. Well, is this classic Darvo, right? Deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. So he's basically saying those elders who I think served with integrity in what they did, they're shooting their own wounded. They're the bad guys. Driscoll, who has just abandoned his church, is the victim. And let's all create sympathy using scripture, which is the most perverse thing, scripture to create sympathy for the man who really was at the center of all of this pain and caused so much of it. And yet he's manipulating them to feel sympathy for really the perpetrator, which is and just- it weird. showed a path to Mark six days mm-hmm. after he resigned. Yep. It showed a path to Mark on how he can return to ministry by being a victim and by shooting the guys um, that investigated him. He does it on the day star. He does it uh, with Brian Houston. He repeatedly, he did it uh, at his own church. I mean, he just repeats the same, I am the victim. I am the victim. I am the victim. Those elders were out to get me. It was a trap. It was a trap. And by the way, you can't question that because God told me it was a trap. Oh, and, and yeah, I that I was in ministry and I would have people tell me God told me. And I was like, no, 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 don't use that because you can't even discuss it, you know, like, okay. But let me play what Mark said. And um, when he actually got up on stage there at Robert Morris's church. Yeah, for me, I'm in a season of just uh, healing up, praying, uh, asking the Lord Jesus through wise counsel to show many blind spots where I can grow. And it's Pastor Appreciation Month. I just want to say that uh, Jesus really appreciates you and appreciates your family. And uh, if you think of anything, just pray for my family. I think there's a lot I could say that might make me feel better. I don't know if it would make me look better, but I don't think it would make Jesus look better, so I won't say anything other than uh, just pray for my family. We've had a a very trying season, and uh, um, just trying to figure out how to be a good pastor to my family first. We all know that's the most important thing. And... um, uh, would you mind if I shared a story or two? Um, is it okay? Like, um, I, I've cried a lot lately. Um, been a, a rough season for the family. I guess you could take a seat. Um, and, uh, and for those of you, I would just say, don't overlook your family as first ministry. Um, and for me, we just really appreciate your prayer for our family. We've got five kids, three boys, two girls, ages 8 to 17. And uh, we've moved three times for safety issues. Um, people arrested at our home, death threats, uh, address posted online, all kinds of things. And uh, more recently, it's gotten very severe. We came home from break. There was rusty nails all over the driveway. We, uh, we, uh, we had a night where the kids wanted to sleep out in the tent. And... Um, I got a call that my uh, address was posted online by the media, and um, so we, we, we went out of town for a few days, came back. Uh, the kids said, no, we got to sleep in the tent, so I didn't sleep, but we, we were in the tent all night and uh, woke up in the morning at about 6.30 or so, and huge rocks about the size of baseballs come flying at my kids, uh, 8, 10, and 12 years of age, call the police, flee into the house for their safety. A few days later, I think it was, I don't even remember, the media flies overhead with a helicopter and is trying to flush us out for a story. And, and that night, uh, we're hiding in the house. Uh, my eight-year-old son comes down, and he's wearing a military jacket. He's loading up his airsoft rifle. And he, uh, he looks at me, 
and he says, hey, Dad, is this, uh, is this jacket bulletproof? I just started crying. I said, why is that, little buddy? He said, well, it's bad guys in the helicopter come to shoot the family, right? He didn't have any concept of, uh, of media coverage. He thought it was bad guys coming to kill his family, and he was going to defend his sister. And so, uh, praise God, he's finally sleeping in his bed again, but it's been a while to get him to do that with night terrors. And so, there's just a lot going on for our family. I appreciate Pastor Robert and the team here. I just want to come here to, to sing, to pray, uh, to learn, to grow, uh, to repent, to heal. And, and God has surrounded me with some great pastors and friends. And if I could just say anything, it's every pastor needs a pastor. And, and, and you pastors, your, your family needs you to be their pastor. So thank you. Love you, bro. Again, kind of hard to hear that. I, I can't imagine at the time with these wounds so raw for everybody at Mars Hill, hearing Mark say those things, which of course he, he's, he's talking about things happening to his children. You know, I mean, wow. I, I mean, as a mother, I, when I hear something like that, if I didn't know a little bit more, I would probably be, I mean, it, it does, it elicits a lot of empathy for the children, for the family. Um, is it true what he's talking about? Okay. So I lived down the street from Mark. Mm -hmm. He lived on, let's just call it an acre and a half, probably. Um, mm. Incredibly tall pine trees. Um, I mean, we're talking um, in diameter and 40 feet tall mm -hmm. and incredibly thick. It was like a forest behind his house. Um, the place where he told me, because I asked him, I was like, okay, so where did this specifically happen? Oh, they parked right here. Okay. So we're talking a hundred feet from where the tent is. And unless these rocks are able to go sideways <laughs> around, because you can't throw it over because yeah. we're talking 40, 50 feet trees. Right. So it, it, it was just, those are the types of stories that to say that they're unbelievable when you hear it, you're like, oh, super empathy. But then, like me, I'm like, wait a minute. So how did this happen? Where did they park the car? So they threw it and it went through all these trees and to hit, a, like, it's just astounding. If you don't know where he lived also, there was a hospital with a heliport within two blocks of his house. Mm -hmm. There were helicopters flying over all the time because it was the first flight responders. Um, in Edmonds. So it, like, so some of the details that he leaves out to elicit empathy and to tell his side of the story work. But if you don't know all the details, then you're like, oh, I feel so sorry for him. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that these elders did that to him. Classic kind of, of move to create empathy for yourself and to bolster yourself. And that that narrative of being harassed and abused. He was on a podcast with Carrie Newhoff in 2020, wasn't it? And one of Carrie's top podcasts of the year. And I remember when that happened, you sent me a text. You're like, oh my word, listen to this. And I've reached out to Carrie. He, he took it down. He took it down. Finally, but it, it, it wasn't after my reporting, which I reported soon after that. I called the day that it was released because I was so shocked. And he said, well, I had no idea of the background of it. Um, and I said, okay, so are you going to let me come on and tell my story? But the only difference is, is you won't get as many hits 
with me being on the podcast mm-hmm. as you did with Driscoll. And that's the key. People do it to build their own platform. They're using Mark uh, and Mark is glad to do that because it helps him b- build his story. But I, I, I said like, and I sent him all the information, not all the information I produced, but I gave him a synopsis mm-hmm. of what I, oh, I had no idea that he was under church discipline and uh, formal charges. Like, and that's the thing that continues to happen and will continue to happen. And but let me push back on that. Carrie is a church leader. The stuff was public by then. All of us knew. I mean, there's no excuse for that. And and after I published the the articles on what was happening at Trinity Church and the things that he was doing, 24-7 surveillance of ousted congregants, you know, who were out of favor with him, this loyalty scale from one to zero or whatever, how loyal you are to Mark determines your access to him. I mean, this is cult-like stuff that's going on. He has no elders, no accountability. Then he supposedly put in elder. I mean, it's it's a joke. And by the way, Robert Morris helped him relaunch and stayed on that board at his new church for the longest time. And Larry Osborne continued having him come to sticky conferences for years and years and years when all of this was out. It took and, and again, it wasn't information that wasn't known. I will say the, Mar- the rise and fall of Mars Hill took the information that was readily available. Of course, there was a lot more detail and really, really well done. I think Mike Cosper and CT did a fantastic job. But I'm just saying, if you didn't know by that time that Mark Driscoll had serious, serious character issues and problems and hadn't made things right with the people he hurt, then you weren't paying attention. And so what it took, though, and this is what I found over and over and over, is that it takes public exposure. It's public pressure. But not for a second do I buy that these people who continued platforming Mark Driscoll didn't know. You're probably right. I'm from the standpoint of giving people the benefit of the doubt, assuming that Carrie didn't know the details. Mm-hmm. That And see, what I, I think is like, Carrie listens to something yeah. like Robert Morris. Okay, mm-hmm. and he doesn't read anything that Warren has done, Throckmorton, or you have done. Mm-hmm. He just takes the the story that Mark is creating, and he's a victim, and we need to empathize with him. And he's working on things, and his family has been abused, you know, and and they believe that line, and they don't hear the other side of it, which is all of the people that are lined up to sit down with Mark Driscoll and talk to him and, and have a, re- a repentance and reconciliation meeting. And by the way, that line is massive, massive. Me being with you today, mm-hmm. I bet you I get 10 people that reach out to me over the next week, whether it be on social media mm-hmm. or whether it will be on my website and they'll reach out and say, hey, I heard you with Julie Royce. There's something that you did in 2011. 2012, 2013, 2014, that I have not been able to get over and we need to talk. And I'll need to, and I'll set up a Zoom, we'll talk and and we'll work on some type of reconciliation. But Mark's never done any of that because you know why? Because it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard work and it's it, it's emotional, it's draining, and you have to empathize with the person that you sinned against, and you have to really understand how you hurt someone from their side of the coin. And that's the that's the work that Mark doesn't still does not want to do because he doesn't see that sin. Mm-hmm. Well, and 
I appreciate your heart. I appreciate giving benefit of the doubt. I guess my where my skepticism comes in is I reached out to Larry when he was platforming Mark. I got no response. Kerry Newhoff, when you reached out to him, did he change or was it, it from what I saw, it wasn't immediate? He left that up for it a It wasn't immediate. Time. It wasn't no. immediate. It was, oh, I'm sorry. I did not know. Yeah, but he didn't take it down again until the public pressure. So that's where, here's the thing that I've heard repeatedly from victims over and over and over again. They said, Julie, it's not, it's not what James McDonald did. It's not that there's a James McDonald. It's not that there's a Mark Driscoll. It's not that there's a John MacArthur. There's not that there's a Ravi Zacharias. It's not that, you know, all of these people, it, it, it's not that there's, there's people in these positions who do horrible things. That's not the point. What has hurt me so much has been the body of believers that when I have said something, have not listened to me, and have not fought for justice. And what I have found is that so many of them are cowardly in their responses. And that's why, you know, maybe beating an old drum here, but I'm going to keep beating it because until the Christian community stands up and gets some courage and some integrity in the way that they hold each other accountable, this is not going to change. I was one of those people that they need to stand up against. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and be holier than thou. I send a lot against a lot of people that I need to and have reconciled with and will continue to to the day I die because some people, it takes a long time to get over and be able to process that hurt and that that tragedy that happened in their lives. And so it could be, I could be 20 years from now and still have something that says, yeah, 28 years ago, this happened. And you've got to be willing to meet with them when they're ready, not when you're ready. Mm. Boy, I appreciate that. And, and again, let me just say on the record, it's not that I don't believe in restoration. I do. Not necessarily restoration to leadership. Some of these guys are permanently disqualified, but restoration to the church, restoration relationships, healing. There's grace for everybody. None of us have committed the unforgivable sin. But as you said, there needs to be repentance. And while we're on this, and you've mentioned it, and, and I think it, especially now, needs to be brought up again because Brian Houston, who is the founder of Hillsong, who himself has now stepped down, but who is also signaling that he's relaunching in ministry, he had Driscoll on. And I think it's worth revisiting that discussion. So I have a short clip from their interview. And again, this was, so this was about a year later, this was in 2015, when Brian Houston had Mark Driscoll come on and he pre-recorded an interview. And then this was played at the big Hillsong conference that they did in Sydney, Australia in 2015. So in your resignation letter, you, you detailed a fair bit about mistakes you had made and, and offences that you had caused. And did you feel like that was received by people? I never got to say goodbye to the church and the people. Um, and so what went public was a, it was actually the resignation letter that went to the legal governing board that was in authority over me. Um, and so um, I... Uh, I know under the circumstances that there wasn't a way to do that that, that would have been um, clean or easy. I don't have any criticism of the board. Uh, I think for the people, it, it meant there wasn't closure, and I didn't, we didn't get to say anything. And so 
Um, and we didn't expect to resign. I met with the board. There was a whole list of things that were charged by current and former leaders, and there was an internal governance struggle and, and threats of legal action, and it, it got very complicated. Um, and a lot of it was anonymous through the internet, so you don't know who is saying or doing what. Um, and so I invited the board to do a full examination, interview anybody, anything, um, and we would submit to whatever verdict that they determined. Um, that when I think about eight weeks, we met Friday and Saturday, October 10th and 11th. I remember because the 11th was my birthday. Uh -huh. And so Grace and I were present with the board and they said, um, we see in your history of leadership, uh, less in more recent years, but particularly in the past, pride, anger, and uh, domineering leadership style. I think that would be the, the three exact words they used. Um, we don't see anything disqualifying. These are areas we want you to grow. We want you to return to leadership of the church soon. They wanted to do some cleanup internally. We want you back on January 4th in the pulpit, give you time to heal, things to cool down, and for some changes to be made. We agreed to that. Uh, I sent in a go-forward plan, and then we went home to have birthday cake with the kids. Um, I think it was on Monday night. I was in the bedroom. Grace was in the living room. And so we had told the board and told the kids, you know, come back and resume preaching and try and love and serve and, and, and fix what was a, a struggling church. And, uh, and God had provided a way for us to do that as volunteers. And so our plan was to come back as volunteers. Um, and then uh, on that Monday night, I was in the bedroom, Grace was in the living room, and um, he spoke to me and he spoke to her in a supernatural way that neither of us anticipated or expected. Um, and so Grace walked in and she said, I feel like the Lord just spoke to me and said what we're supposed to do. And I was like, I, I feel like the Lord just spoke to me and said what we're supposed to do. It's not what we wanted. It's not what we had agreed to and it's not what we had planned for. And so I asked her, well, what did the Lord say to you? Because I didn't want to influence her. And she said, uh, we're... We're released yeah. from Marsville. Yeah. So, well, she said, well, what did he say to you? And I said, well, the Lord revealed to me that, you know, uh, a trap has been set. There's, there's, there's no way to, for us to return to leadership. And I didn't know what that meant or what was going on at the time. And um, um, I said, he said, we're released and we need to resign. So, um, you know, this is not what we anticipated. And uh, a lot of people thought, you know, maybe he's got another plan or uh, we, we didn't. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing. And uh, Grace fell to the floor and she was just sobbing uncontrollably. And I'd never seen my wife like that. She was devastated. Your response to that. So it's similar to other people that have platform Mark. They refer to the 25 formal charges as mistakes. You know, so Brian is minimizing Mark's own activity in the reason why there were 25 formal charges brought against him that found him disqualified. I also find it remarkable when I listen to this, that Mark couldn't remember the three things that he was charged with. Um, he totally botches it and, and can't even recall, you know, that, that it was quick-tempered, arrogant, and domineering in leadership. 
um, he got domineering in leadership, but, um, and so I, that, and, it, and then if you, if you notice, Mark puts this uh, quote in here, quote, and there was an internal governance struggle and threats of legal action. The threats from legal action were only from Mark telling people not to say anything. I got that. And a lot of other people got that, that were on the investigating. And this is post Mars Hill. This is 2015 that that happened. And this internal governance structure. No, there's no internal governance structure. There was not. It was just, Mark, you're not going to be in leadership and you're going to go through a time of restoration. The idea that he was going to go back, Mark wanted to come back. Actually, during the investigation, Mark thought that he was going to preach literally three weeks after the meeting that they had that weekend of the 10th and the 11th. So he thought that he was coming right back. That's one of the reasons why he was so surprised. That's one of the reasons why I've documented in the notes on how he was just aggressive to the board at that point in time. But there, this whole idea that there was an internal governance structure, no, that was not the case. The problem was they started to realize we no longer can just do exactly what Driscoll wants to do based upon the information that they had gone through with all of those interviews. And so those are the things that I hear. And, and it's kind of a progression. You can put this on a, on a timeline and see Mark's story evolve. And obviously now he's added adultery to the to to this because remember like when he met with Robert Morris six days later there wasn't a trap but it just grows over time, and I'll tell you like people have asked me work, working for Driscoll and what you mm-hmm. saw and Mark has an amazing ability to tell himself something over and over again that he will then believe is true. Like I've seen it happen so many times that he will repeat, like, I am sure that in his mind, you put him on a lie detector test today on the kids getting thrown rocks to their tent and he will test out. I guarantee you he'll flatline that and pass that Mm -hmm. polygraph test because he said it so many times. It's now true. And I saw that so many times over the course, like he would tell himself, well, I didn't know the informational results source. And I was like, like, no, no, no. I I can show you the emails that Jamie was sending you about the information. You had a meeting with Mike Anderson, like you knew exactly what you were doing, but he's told himself so many times that he's able to say, well, I never knew anything. And, and he thinks again, just like in the clip that you played from this past weekend that he can stand in front of Jesus and be blameless on these things. I did ask Miles about the most recent, like you said, this this story has grown. This is the first time ever that Mark Driscoll has claimed that the leaders at Mars Hill were planning on accusing him of adultery. There were some plots, from what I understand, you had received a text that that if you didn't resign, some things were going to happen. Is that, is that accurate? Who knows where those texts were coming from? They could have been from any country in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they're they're scary when you get those texts, um, and you have to weigh, you have to count the cost at those point in time. So at the time, um, there were so many people trying to get Mark to resign, trying to get me to resign, but it was outside pressure, and so 
the, the key to here is, is to not, not put all of these things, because Mark does this um, in his statement to Brian Houston. He's putting together the things that were happening on blogs on top of these honorable men that were doing the investigation. And that's not fair. That's not fair. Like those guys didn't write those blogs. Those guys didn't do any of those things. Those guys were investigating 25 formal charges of being disqualified from ministry. That's what they were doing. And, and so to say, I mean, you and I both, we can get on the uh, Twitter and we can just scroll through it. And we can find hundreds of lies that are out there. And at this point in time, there was a lot of those lies that were out there about me, about Mark, about about the church, about lots of things. But that's cluttering the discussion. What he is saying with his adultery claim is, is those investigating elders, mm-hmm. many of those that he met with in, two, in the summer of 2015, after he had resigned, that then told him that there was a nuclear option that they had discussed, using Mark's words, Mm-hmm. That was going to blame him for adultery with, uh, on grace and was going to get him out of the pulpit. And that's just crazy. So so to me, adding the social media and critics and then adding these honorable elders in, I, I don't think is fair. Yeah. And let me just... I I feel a need to speak to the honorable bloggers because I mean it's it's just such an easy target to talk about the media or the bloggers or social media and how awful they were. I will say this, Warren Throckmorton, had he not blogged what he did and and he he sourced it well. Janet Mefford, if she hadn't spoken up about the plagiarism. I mean there's a number of people and this was kind of the beginning of holding church leaders accountable, bypassing the gatekeepers. Like this didn't come through CT initially. This didn't come through World Magazine even, who's done some great investigations. It came through bloggers. It came through people on social media holding accountable. And had not that not happened, I'm not sure any of this would have come to light. As yeah. you know, uh, Warren and I have talked many times, told yeah. my story to Warren many times. He and I have totally... Uh, reconciled. I have apologized to him because I attacked him during those days in a vicious, horrible way. And it was sinful. And I needed to own that sin towards Warren. But he did a very honorable job. I mean, literally, if it wasn't for him on the Medford thing, Mm -hmm. that because to him, the the plagiarism is a huge issue to him. Uh, He's got a real, real moral compass on um, plagiarism. And that's why he he followed up on that. He was like, wait a minute, this isn't right. And if he hadn't really, there's a lot of chain of events that might not have happened if he hadn't started um, with that initial one. Mm-hmm. And he's an academic, so it makes sense that he would. I want to I wanna play what, what Miles told me, his response when he heard these allegations uh, on the 23rd again that there was a plot and his response and what he thought. I was stunned because it completely just floored me that he would be so bold to say that when that was absolutely not true. The meetings at Panera he had, I know with many people, then probably a lot of those were very difficult to have. But when it came to those who were investigating, um, I know of a few of us who had meetings at Panera that were primarily, again, this is after he resigned, uh, there 
concern for him. How was he doing? How were the how was the family doing? He did ask about traps, but we I remember saying there was no such thing. No such thing. And so the allegation that the nuclear option was going to be accusing him of adultery, it's shocking. Absolutely shocking that he would say something like that. So Miles was shocked, just like you were shocked. And he also expressed some concern for for Mark Driscoll's soul and citing some of the stuff that you did about what he said about standing before Jesus. And I asked Miles, if there's one thing that you could say to Mark Driscoll right now, what would it be? Take a listen. When I heard him say in that sermon bit that he's ready to meet Jesus, it'll be a great day for him, I was concerned. It is for those who are redeemed for sure. But before every tear is wiped away, there's going to be an account of all that is done. And that won't be a great time. And so I, I'm worried for his soul. So that'd probably be the thing that I'd tell him if I could have just, I'm concerned for your soul, brother. If you are a brother, because none of this stuff will matter in the end if his soul is not right. And have you ever heard repentance from Mark Driscoll about this, like true repentance? I haven't. I could see on your face, you feel that concern too. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, we served together. You know, I mean, my family was super close. My girls were super close with his girls. Um, we went on vacations together. I would have considered him a friend. And it's sad. It's, it's sad. I still love Mark. I'll say that today. I still love Mark Driscoll. He's still my brother. I want to see the reason why I'm doing all this is to not only to highlight that, but maybe also maybe that there's a change in him. I told you earlier, like how glorifying would it be for, for Mark to reconcile with all those people and um, for, you know, for the, the hurt that he participated in for that to be redeemed and reconciled and there be a restoration um, to take place with some of these people. You know, I mean, there was 41 elders this summer that signed a letter that we, that we published in CT to try to actually war warn um, the, his current church that he's disqualified and, and to alert them of what happened in the past. And from what we hear, we're not there. We're not elders. We have no jurisdiction. We have like nothing. We're just Christians like going, hey, other Christians, you might be in not a good place. Um, you might be lied to. Um, and I just, I have seen people be hurt that are in the church because I've reconciled with them and I've heard their stories and I've heard how it affected their kids and, and all the difficulties that they've had on going back to church after leaving Mars Hill. Some people haven't gone back to church. And it's just horrible and crying with those people. And, and to think that there's new people that are in those situations going forward, it just, it, it breaks my heart. It really does. And, and I don't want it to keep happening. And it continues to happen. I've talked to a number of families there at the Trinity Church who have been horribly wounded. I've talked to the family members of Driscoll's own family, his in-laws, who have been uh, completely cut off because they didn't 
toe the party line with Mark Driscoll. I, I've talked to the the former head of security and another security person there at the Trinity Church. In fact, if you haven't heard those podcasts, I would encourage you, go back and listen to those. It's chilling. Uh, I would say Mark Driscoll has not been chastened or humbled. He's gotten more bold, and he's gotten more brash, and and he's determined not to make the mistake he made at Mars Hill and submit himself to any accountability, which is a scary place for any one of us to be in, because all of us need accountability. All of us need our brothers and sisters speaking into our lives. And so it is it is a, a scary thing, and, and Scripture warns about it. I hope right now, if there's people listening who are going to the Trinity Church, I hope you take these warnings to heart, because Scripture is very clear that there will be false teachers out there, and there will be people pretending to be one thing and be another, and there is an awful lot. You know, you know a tree by its fruit, and if you look at the fruit of this tree, there's some issues. Julie, also, too, um, you know, I worked for Vanderblumen for three years after um, most recently, and mm -hmm. they are an executive search firm for churches, helping pastors and churches and find them each other. Mm -hmm. And I will say through that experience, I, I'm hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches that I worked with, not, not from a ministry basis, but from a business basis. And there are a lot of Mark Driscoll's out there. Um, so it, 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 so this shouldn't just apply to people in the Trinity church. This, some of the things that they're maybe read about that happened at Mars Hill might be applicable to their local church. It might not be a mega church. It might be. And so I hope it's it's illuminating. And by the way, there's amazing pastors out there like Miles that are loving their people and serving their people and serving the Lord and doing an amazing job of being a shepherd. Don't get me wrong, but there are some bad um, pastors out there that are hurting people and, and so I, I only say this not only for the people in the Trinity Church today, but people that are in similar churches as the Trinity Church. Mm -hmm. Well, and speaking of Vanderblomen, it reminds me of all the reporting I did on Andy Wood, and Vanderblomen was very involved in the, the investigation, which they're not really an investigative <laughs> firm. I mean, it's crazy that they were hired to do that. And and cleared Andy Wood of of the many charges before they even talked to uh, to victims. So that's really a, an amazing investigation that you can do that you can know before you've even talked to any victims that uh, that a man is innocent of the charges. And Again, I'll say this on that yeah. subject: mm -hmm. um, you look at what the guys did, uh, the elders did at Marcel by talking. Uh, they went to they went to two elders went mm -hmm. to talk to victims. They, they took notes um, and they listened and they, they, they interviewed those people for as long as they wanted to talk. Okay. That's it. And it's an enormous uh, undertaking. Mm. Um, and unfortunately it doesn't sound like from what I've read and what you've reported on that Vanderblumen did that. And unfortunately that's the only way in my opinion to do a formal investigation of a pastor and it's exhausting and you have to pray for those people that are doing that investigation. And to be, to me, those need to be local elders in that local church that know those people and know the circumstances that are around that. That's my opinion. Well, I would have liked to seen uh, a third party that understands spiritual abuse very well, like Grace, 
uh, come in and do that. And and the other thing that I appreciate about Grace is that when they do an investigation, they will only do it under the agreement that that report will be published. And so there's there's just incredible accountability. Well, and you know that there's some churches that don't have uh, that don't have those people that are whether they're volunteer elders or whatever, their polity doesn't allow that. And so some places like Grace are needed to come in because that accountability structure just doesn't exist. So like if, for example, with Mark Driscoll today, there's no accountability structure. So somebody would have to be brought in from the outside to do any type of investigation because there's no structure of accountability whatsoever. Well, and I'll say this, and and we... We probably need to wrap this up. We could talk so long about this. Uh, there are different ways of, of holding accountability. Some are within the church themselves and internal. Some are external. And we can debate the, the validity of all of those. But I'll say this. It seems to me that what Mars Hill did, there was clearly, even though these men had reason, and even, as you said, the fear of crossing Mark Driscoll, and despite all of that, they came back with the report they did, and and we see Mark not chastened. And so my hope and prayer is I would love to see him repent, as you've expressed. But in the meantime, I would like to warn, be the watchman and warn people away until that happens. Uh, thank you so much, Sutton, for being willing to, to speak to me and be so open and and share your heart and the truth of things. And I want to thank you especially for your humility in admitting your part. That is so rare and yet so necessary in the church. So thank you. Thank you. And thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce, and just a reminder that we're able to do our podcast and all our investigative work at The Roy's Report because of support from people like you. If you appreciate our work here at The Roy's Report, would you please consider donating to help us continue? To give to The Roy's Report, just text 22525 with the word REPORT. Again, that's 22525 and the word REPORT. Also, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about the podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you were blessed and encouraged. All right. Is there anything you want to add? That's it. That's good. Brings back so many bad memories. <laughs> so sorry. Hey. Can I pray for you? Yeah, it'd be great. Father, I thank you for Sutton. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for his tenderness towards towards those who were hurt, towards um, even Mark now, the fact that he still loves him. Father, I I just pray that you would you would heal his broken heart, but Lord, I thank you for the tenderness. I pray that would never go away. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to use him to minister to those who are brokenhearted and to be able to empathize with what they feel. 
And Father, I know that you continue, even though he may not be in ministry now, Lord, that you are using him and you have a plan for, um, you have a plan for his life. And so God, I just, I bless that. And I just speak forgiveness over him and and in your grace. And I thank you, Lord, that you say that we boldly can approach your throne because of the sacrifice that you made on the cross. I thank you for the blood that you shed on our behalf. And Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would, would comfort him in the midst of this. I know this is hard, really hard. And I know it's really hard that he, is, he represents so many other people who are, who are grieving still. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Well, let me know what else I can do. <laughs> I've done a lot. You really have. I'm glad it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. Um, well, thank you, Julie. I appreciate all that you do. I really do. I, and I, I, you know, Chad Freeze, I told him to call you and, you know, Jolie Monet. And I mean, you've been so good to these people that have come and like they can't get their story out and you champion them. And it just it's it's interesting because I'm on a little Facebook group with all those people. Mm -hmm. Um and just people trying to have left Trinity that are trying to, you know, and I just try to love on them and encourage them and, you know, um, and so, but thank you for, for helping so many people. Well, it's a privilege. It really is. And to yeah. be able to steward those stories and, and to have a platform that God's given me where it can make a difference. Yeah. That, that's a great, I mean, it's an incredible privilege. It yeah. really is. Yeah. So sometimes you see the outcome you want, sometimes you don't, but it always makes a difference. And it always yeah. means a ton to the people who are wounded. Absolutely. 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 It heals them so much. And uh, so thank you. You have a good weekend. I yeah. appreciate all you're doing. Oh, well, thank you, Sutton. Okay. I consider you a brother. Yeah. You're my sister. Thank you. <laughs> uh, blessings. We'll be in bye -bye. touch, I'm sure. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay.